Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. Five and a half years ago, the state of North Carolina attracted international derision and widespread boycotts when the General Assembly and then-Governor Pat McCrory enacted HB2, a law that purported to regulate the usage of public restrooms and prohibited local governments from passing human rights ordinances that bar discrimination against LGBTQ people. Today, thank goodness, most of that now infamous law has been repealed, and many local governments have moved to enact comprehensive anti-discrimination ordinances. The latest and one of the most important to move in this direction is the state's largest political subdivision, the Capital County of Wake, which is expected to formally approve an ordinance on October 18th. Earlier this week, I caught up with the chair of the Wake County Commissioners, Matt Calabria, to get an update on the new ordinance, as well as Wake's efforts to tackle the COVID-19 pandemic and the affordable housing crisis that's vexing so many metro areas across the country. Well, Matt Calabria, welcome back to News and Views. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Among the many items of big news in your world of Wake County government these days is the advancement of an ordinance, a non-discrimination ordinance that finally puts us on the path to having protections for the LGBTQ community in our county and going forward. Talk to us about where that stands, what it would do, what we can look forward to. So just yesterday, the county commission for the first time took up an ordinance that prohibits discrimination in public accommodations as well as employment. This coming Monday, the county commission is going to be voting on it. And based on the indications of unanimous support for it yesterday, I expect it to pass with flying colors. This is really important, I think, for a number of reasons. First, this ordinance provides local level protections for our residents. Second, it sets norms and expectations in our community. And then third, it really communicates to the world what we are about. We wanted to make sure that we had a broad-based set of protections. And so included among those protections are protections against discrimination on the basis of race, sex, pregnancy, LGBTQ status, religious belief, age and veteran status and disability, and some others as well. So we tried to make it a broad-based set of protections. And I think it's going to go a long way. I'll mention a couple of things it's not. It's not uh, an ordinance that pertains to bathrooms, and it's actually not an ordinance that pertains to religious institutions, but it is otherwise a broad-based ordinance that I think covers a lot of ground and sets some norms in our community. Is it safe to say that the ultimate expiration or demise of the infamous HB2 law has sort of paved the way to make this possible, that we can actually have a law that bans discrimination, bans people from being fired or denied a hotel room because they're gay or lesbian? I think that's right. It was the sunset of the HB2 and HB142 provisions that did have an expiration date on them that made this possible. About a dozen municipalities and counties have preceded us, but obviously there are 100 counties and hundreds of municipalities in North Carolina. So we're still sort of on the leading edge of this, and I'm really glad to be able to put this in place. But the expiration of the various statutes was the trigger for this. You've sort of alluded to this, but it would seem that here we are, a rapidly growing metropolitan area that's drawing people from across the country, indeed across the planet, businesses from across the world, that this is sort of almost like boilerplate, something basic that one has to do in the modern world if one's going to compete on an international level and attract uh, the kind of corporate citizens we want to have in our community and the kind of employers and uh, forward-looking entities, if you will, in our community. It just seems like this is just something, as you say, it looks like it'll pass unanimously when you all meet uh, next week. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, uh, just parenthetically, 
when you put a statute or, or an ordinance like this together and you put it forward, you never totally know what the public reaction is going to be. But the predominant reaction so far has been what took you so long, which is uh, in some ways very heartening because it's a good indication you're on the right track. But you're right. The businesses we try to recruit here on a day to day basis have repeatedly said that they want to be in a place that's consistent with their values, but also to be in a place that where they can recruit the best possible talent. The number one issue we hear from our businesses is access to talent. And that means a lot about education and our community college system. But it also means being the kind of place that employees want to live, that young people want to live, that people want to raise their families and where they feel comfortable going to the store or having their relatives stay in a hotel or going out to a restaurant. And so this really sets the standard. It's been embraced by the folks that we have talked to so far. And I think it's going to continue to be a real help to this area. I want to move on to some other topics, but one last question, just can you tell us when do you expect this to all be finalized and when would it actually go into effect in Wake County? Yeah, that's a good question. I expect that the county commission will vote this Monday, October 18th, and then it will be enacted into law. However, there's an effective date where the ordinance will actually kick in, uh, which is February 1st, as the, the ordinance is written right now. And the idea behind that is that we expect that the vast majority of our businesses are already comporting themselves in a way that wouldn't run afoul of the ordinance. But we wanted to make sure that there was enough time so that residents, businesses, everybody could really understand what the law was, what it meant, what it didn't mean, so that no one would be surprised. So really, it's just a ramp up period to make sure uh, everybody's on the same page, make sure there's sufficient communication about it, opportunities to work with our chambers of commerce to help them understand and then promulgate information to their membership. Uh, and that was something that was actually suggested by Quality NC, which is an organization that worked on uh, this ordinance with us. So we feel really good about it. We think it's the responsible way to go. We think it's the fair thing to do for our folks. We're talking to Matt Calabria, who's the chair of the Wake County Board of Commissioners, about the new non-discrimination ordinance that will soon be going into effect in Wake County. So many other topics I want to ask you about, so many challenges that you face in this in this job that you've taken on. Talk to us about the COVID-19 challenges that face Wake County. My gosh, I'm sure we could spend hours discussing all of them. We have challenges still when it comes to testing and vaccination requirements and uh, people facing eviction because the ongoing uh, pandemic recession. Talk to us about some of the big challenges you're grappling with right now and what Wake County is trying to do to, to rise to this challenge. You know, it's kind of interesting. We've had to build an entirely new apparatus and infrastructure around COVID-19 response. Counties in North Carolina are the default institution when it comes to administering public health and making various public health decisions. And so we benefit from more than $400 million of federal funds that continue to stream into Wake County, just Wake County alone. But we have actually stood up what may well be the national best testing apparatus, bar none. We didn't realize when we were doing it at the time that <laughs> setting up free, robust, quick, convenient, you know, no ID required testing for anybody who rolls up and doesn't even have to get out of their car is really unique in the country. And we only found out that out later. People get their test results by and large within six hours. I mean, it's just uh, unbelievable, but we think it's been able to cause people to be able to make better decisions about their health and whether they should go to work the next day and those sorts of things. On the vaccination side, we're doing rather well. We've got more than 80% of our adults, at least, uh, who have received at least one dose of vaccine, but it has been hand-to-hand -hand combat. We've had people knocking on doors. We've had people posted up outside of PNC Arena. 
we've put a very strong emphasis on reaching out to underprivileged communities because we know vaccination rates tend to be lower there. And uh, hospitalization rates, infection rates, we look at these heat maps all the time and underprivileged areas, low-income areas tend to be the hardest hit, um, just con pretty consistently. And so we're going to continue our outreach. We've even had what we've called an Ask the Doc series, where we have folks from, you know, doctors from, let's say, the African-American community or the uh, Latinx, Hispanic community, putting on electronic sort of town halls to talk about why it's important to get vaccinated and dispel myths about vaccination. So it's been a full court press on the public health side, but it's also been a big trigger for us to amp up our efforts on the housing side. Congregate housing shelters don't work in the COVID era when you're putting everybody in the same room. And so at one point we rented out two hotels, but we have put in tens of millions of dollars of additional money into affordable housing, permanent supportive housing. And we are providing so many more services than we ever have before to that population. And honestly, it's been a good opportunity for us to step up our game on affordable housing issues writ large but we're doing rental assistance. We've got more affordable housing. We have served, last time I checked since the advent of the pandemic, uh, something like 14 million meals to folks uh -huh. in need. I mean, the county's got 1.1 million people, but in that respect, it's only 1.1 million people. To give you a, a sense of the meal distribution, no one would ask this on anybody, but, it, but what we've tried to do is use it as an opportunity to improve our services. Um, and I think it's going to set a new bar uh, even after the pandemic. Well, as someone who's availed himself of the free testing, I appreciate it. It was excellent, and I encourage anybody who hasn't, who might need it and hasn't checked it out to please do so. We're coming to near the end of our time with Wake County Commissioner and Chair of the Board, Matt Calabria, but I want to add, you've alluded to the issue of affordable housing. One of the great challenges that obviously is, it's a national challenge these days, particularly in big, fast-growing, successful counties like Wake, is the affordable housing issue. It's a crisis for people who are confronting the COVID recession, but broader, it's a problem for middle-class families who just can't find a home that's affordable these days. What are your thoughts about where we go and what the long-term prospects are for building and maintaining housing in a community like Wake that is possible for average people to live in without uh, giving up everything else that they have? I'll say at the outset that I think uh, housing affordability is one of the most intractable issues that this community is going to be facing. I think it's one of the most acute, if not the most acute issue right now. But we go on these intercity trips and you talk to folks from other places and folks will say we've got a great transportation system or we've got an excellent public education system. But nobody says, hey, we figured out affordable housing. It's just a complex issue and it's going to be an ongoing issue. Now, that said, I think we have two problems. First, we have an affordable housing problem, and that means we have a dearth of government-supported affordable housing, and we have put tens and tens of millions of dollars into that just in the time that I've been a, a county commissioner, and we're going to continue to amp up our efforts there, including permanent supportive housing and housing for those at the lowest AMI levels, with a special emphasis there. The second half of the problem is I actually think more important more difficult and harder to talk about because it's complicated. But that second half is what I'll call the housing affordability problem. And that involves getting planning and zoning right. We've talked to national experts on this issue. And what they will tell you is that you can't, it's just impracticable for government to build its way out of an affordable housing crisis. 
And so what you really need to do is think about the supply and the demand and make sure that you set the community-wide structures right. And that really puts an emphasis on working with our municipalities uh, because by and large, they control planning and zoning where the growth is occurring. So Wake County for this purpose only governs the unincorporated areas. And so we really need to be more collaborative with our municipalities to say, look, we've got a common problem. We've got to have collaborative solutions. Matt Calabria is the chair of the Wake County Board of Commissioners. There's, Commissioner, there's so much more I'd like to ask, but our time is up. I hope we can do this again, maybe even later this fall and catch up on a raft of other issues that uh, y'all are wrestling with. Chris, thanks for your service. This has been great. Thanks for having me. Coming up next, a special two-part conversation with a pair of advocates working to ensure that North Carolina complies with its constitutional obligation to the state's school children. Stay with us. <laughs> <laughs> 